All right, guys, welcome back to our teaching in the book of Genesis. Last time we were here, chapter 25, we saw three basic things. We saw the life of Abraham, how that God prospered Abraham even in his old age. And Abraham got another wife with additional six sons. So we saw that and how he had blessed his sons. But nevertheless, he sent them away from Isaac so that Isaac should be the only one in the promised land. And so that there would be no competition between Abraham's son and the son of promise, namely Isaac. So we saw that. Then we saw the continuation of this with Ishmael, how God had made a promise to Abraham that he would bless Ishmael with 12 great princes, 12 great uh, leaders, tribal leaders that should come from Ishmael. And it showed how God was faithful in that promise that he made to Abraham and that he did increase Ishmael in this same faction. And so we continue to see God's uh, the movement of the narrative as we focused on Isaac, the son of promise. However, the narrative did not focus on Isaac, but began to focus on the two sons of Isaac, that is Esau and Jacob. And it dealt with their births, how that the younger son, Jacob, would displace the older son, Esau, with the birthright. And we saw the very beginnings of these things in chapter 25. All right. Now we are in chapter 26. And basically the idea of chapter 26, we shift back again, instead of concentrating on the two sons of Isaac. Now we're starting to talk about Isaac himself. And so it is very narrative. But what we're going to see in chapter 26, as we refocus once again on Isaac, as it is with as it was with the father, that is Abraham, so it will be with the son. And as we look at this text and even as Israel looks at this text, they will begin to learn and understand certain things about God's promises to them in the language. But we'll talk about all of that as we move through the text. But the primary idea that we see is this, and, and let me kind of bring you guys into focus here. Isaac is the son of promise. That is, remember the promise that God made to Abraham beginning in Genesis chapter 12. God reaffirms that same promise to Abraham once again, chapter 15, chapter 17, thus full chapter 22 as well. But God reaffirming those same promises to Abraham Abraham is now dead. Question is, what happens to the promises that God made unto Abraham? Those promises are reaffirmed. Those promises are continued with the promised son himself, that is Isaac. And so that's what we're going to see, how the promises of God are being continued with Isaac. However, however, even though the promises are given to Isaac, those promises are not apart from faith. That is, it is necessary, though it is almost like a built-in thing for Isaac that he will receive the promises, but God does nothing apart from the faith of the individual. So we see, as the writer of Hebrews was saying in chapter 11, how faith works in conjunction with the promises of God. That is, we receive the promise or we'll see it in the text here. 
Isaac receives the promises of God. He receives those benefits of God by virtue of faith. Not that he just simply automatically gets it because I'm Abraham's son, so I just automatically get it. No, he too must exercise faith in the God who made those promises. And that's basically what we're going to see as we look at God's faithfulness to Isaac in fulfilling the Abrahamic promise. Okay, so even though the text is lengthy, but nevertheless, that's the basic idea that we will see the promise blessings being given now, transferred to Isaac. All right, 26 and one. Now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine that had occurred in the days of Abraham. So Isaac went to Gerah, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. The Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt, stay in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land and I will be with you and bless you for to you and to your descendants, I will give all these lands and I will establish the oath, which I swore to your father, Abraham. I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven. And I will give your descendants all these lands and by your descendants, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my obeyed me and kept my charge my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac lived in Gerar. Okay, so now the first thing that we see is there is a famine in the land. Remember, Isaac is in the land of promise, the land of Canaan, okay? And just like it was with his father, we see a repetition. It's a repetition we're going to see uh, of a number of events that happened in the life of Abraham. The issue with Abraham's wife, Sarah, we're going to see a similar issue with Isaac's wife, Rebecca. But here we're seeing an issue with a famine, just like it was a famine in the days of Abraham. And that famine, the famine did not drive Abraham down to Egypt, but it was because of the famine that Abraham went into Egypt. Now, You'll have to go back and look at the video that I made concerning that Genesis chapter 12. But the issue is this. When God told Abraham to go into the land of promise and then he gave him this blessing and I will bless those who bless you and curse those. And in you, all the families of the earth should be blessed. All of that. OK, the, uh, the Abrahamic covenant, covenant of blessing. These things do not operate, as I was just telling you guys earlier. They do not operate apart from faith, but in conjunction with faith. Here comes the promise, but along with the promise comes a test. And that's what you have to see. Now, when we look in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham failed his test. And don't, don't be too hard on Abraham because faith must grow. Faith must grow. He believed enough to leave his father's house, he, to leave a place of familiarity and go to a place he had no idea about. That's faith within itself, but faith still must grow. And that's what we see in the life of Abraham, God continually working to build his faith until you got to Genesis chapter 22, when Abraham had enough faith that if God made a promise, God would go so far as to resurrect his son from the dead if he should kill him because God commanded him. That's in Genesis 22. Abraham's faith was complete. It was, it was what God would wanted it to be. Okay. 
But nevertheless, we see the same scenario here. Isaac is given the promise, but God does not operate apart from faith. Isaac too must have faith in God. So what happens as God tested the faith of the father with a famine, God now tests the faith of the son with a famine. Okay. And now we see Isaac beginning to go into a place called Gerah. And then there's the appearance of God unto Abraham. So it seems to be, there is a physical, physical human appearance. And when we say human, that means God took human form. Uh, uh, and the Lord appeared unto him. That's what we're talking about in verse number two. But nevertheless, so Isaac is in Gerah. So he's journeying to, uh, for a place. If there's a famine, that's because there's a lack of water. So he's searching for water. He's searching for pasturage, okay? Moving towards Gerah. And that's when God himself intercepts him and tells him, do not go down to Egypt. This, this lets us know that Isaac was not simply going to Gerah, but he was passing through Gerah on his way to Egypt. Same thing that his father did. Apparently, the lesson that his father learned, Isaac himself did not learn. So Isaac too has to learn and has to grow in faith. So God stops him, tells him to remain in the promised land. And that's what Gerar is, Gerar of the Philistines. So this place is in the promised land. And so there, as God appeared to Isaac, he affirms the promise that he made unto his father. And that's when he says, I will be with you. So, and I don't want to get into a lot of details on this part of the narrative, but it is important. So notice he says to him, I will be with you. That is great consolation and courage to encourage his faith. And again, I will bless you. Now this is important too, because as we move throughout chapter 26, all throughout this narrative, what we're going to see is God's faithfulness in continuing to bless Isaac. And then he tells him once again, he affirms the covenant of the land that to Isaac, as well as to his descendants, he would give this land. Now, there are a lot of wonderful things that we can talk about in particular, because we know that Isaac does not inherit the land in the same way that his father Abraham did, does not did not inherit the land before his death. But the idea is one day God indeed will give Isaac this land. And we know that will come when Jesus returns and sets up his kingdom. And there Isaac will truly inherit the land along with his father, Abraham. But nevertheless, and God promises to establish his oath, the oath that he made with Abraham, with Isaac. So we see what a continuation of that oath with Isaac and God promises to bless his seed and to make his seed, his descendants numerous. And then once again, here's something that I think we often uh, pass over too quickly. And then he says, and by your descendants, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Now this is both. And I don't want to put a lot of time in this because I've dealt with it before, but this is both singular it is both singular and it is both corporative at the same time. Now, let me explain what I mean by corporative first. Corporative by your through your descendants. And that's how they translate it through your descendants. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. That is all of the rest of humanity. Or we come it, we come to know it in the New Testament time, all of the Gentiles. OK, 
So through the people of Isaac, the chosen people, which we know will be the Israelites, they are the chosen vessel to bless all of the Gentiles. But also too, so, so we see the priestly function, the priestly function of the people of Isaac, that is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Israelites, the Jewish people, the priestly function. That's what God talks about in the book of Exodus. And we are definitely not going to go there now, but God talks about that in the book of Exodus in that he chose Israel as a priestly nation, a nation of priests. Okay. To function as a blessing to the Gentiles revelation of who the true God is unto people who don't know the true God. But back to this, I said, so that's corporate understanding, but it also has a singular understanding because all throughout this text uh, uh, here, as it was talking about the descendants, actually the word is zera in the singular. Zera means seed, seed as Paul would later on telling us, meaning one, that is meaning Christ Jesus, Jesus the Messiah. So once again, and this is all about what the Abrahamic covenant is all about, how the transmission of blessing is given through the seed of Abraham seed, not, not, it does incorporate the Jewish people, just like I told you as a priestly nation, but singular. And that's the most important aspect of this verse. That is Messiah Jesus. He is that singular seed of Abraham who inherits himself alone all the promises of Abraham for he himself is indeed the faithful son of Abraham, son of God. He indeed is the one who is faithful above all things. Okay. But nevertheless, and God continues on and says, all of these I will establish with you. And he says, because Abraham obeyed my voice. And when you get to verse number five, when the Jews read that, they can see the reflection of the law. Notice when it says, Abraham obeyed me. He kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, my law. That is so mosaic, even though we know Moses is hundreds of years yet to be born at this time. Okay. But when the Jews would go back to read this, it would encourage them to, okay, the law of Moses, do that, keep that. Why? As a son of Abraham, if I want to be blessed like my father, I too want to do what? Keep the laws and statutes and things of God the same way. And then it says, so Isaac stopped on his way towards Egypt and he remained in the promised land where he was in Gerar of the Philistines. All right. Now let's get to the next section. When the men of the place asked about his wife, he said, she is my sister, for he was afraid to say my wife, thinking the men of the place might kill me on account of Rebecca, for she is beautiful. It came about when he had been there a long time that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out through a window and saw, and behold, Isaac was caressing his wife, Rebecca. Then Abimelech called Isaac and said, behold, Certainly she is your wife. How then did you say she is my sister? And Isaac said to him, because I said I might die on account of her. Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech charged all the people saying, he who touches this man or his wife 
shall surely be put to death. Okay, so now, once again, notice what I told you guys earlier. Like what happened to the father, Abraham, same thing happened to the son. Now, we know the first time that it happened to Abraham was when he went into the land of Egypt and there he lost his wife. And then again, Abraham went into the land of the Philistines here and Abraham again for the second time lost his wife. OK, the only difference here is Isaac did not lose his wife, but nevertheless, he told a lie similarly like Abraham, his father, he was afraid that because Rebecca was a pretty girl, they would kill him and take uh, Rebecca and take him, take her from him and he would lose his wife. But the bottom line is this. What we see here again is a lack of faith. If OK, God had made certain promises to Abraham. I'm sorry, Isaac. Therefore, God would not leave Isaac until God had fulfilled those promises to Isaac, at least in a seminal way. OK, in a seminal way. And those promises have yet to be fulfilled. So what we see, or should I even say, let's back it up a little bit. What we saw in Abraham, when Abraham went into these places and told this lie, it was an, it was an indication of his lack of faith. It was an indication of his lack of faith. Same thing here we see in Isaac. It is an indication of his lack of faith. So I'm simply saying in all of that, as God has dealt with Isaac's father, Abraham, God also deals with Isaac himself. Why? Abraham had to have faith. Faith is an experiential thing. That is, we acquire faith through our experience. You don't simply acquire faith simply and only by hearing and reading. You acquire faith through your experiences. And usually those experiences will be difficult. The more difficult the experience, the greater the faith on the end, in the end result. Okay. But nevertheless, Isaac too has failed the test. Abimelech. Now this is probably not the same Abimelech. I think it's Genesis chapter 20. Guys, forgive me just in case I give a wrong quote. Every now and then I'll do, and I'll do a name mess up. So forgive me for that. But this Abimelech is not necessarily the same man. It's probably a title. Abimelech, which is like, my God is king. That's literally what the name means. It's not the same Abimelech of Abraham. Not necessarily. Could be, but I don't think so. But nevertheless, in the land of the Philistines, Isaac tells the lie. Abimelech catches him in a, uh, 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 what is it, PDA, <laughs> as we call it nowadays. And so he's caressing his wife and Abimelech calls his hand in the same way, very similar, that the Abimelech of his father's time called Abraham's hand. But at that time, uh, Sarah, Abraham's wife, was living with Abimelech, but this woman, Rebecca, is not living with Abimelech. But the idea is the same, and you can't miss the point that God is trying to make. Some of the same mistakes are repeated in the son, okay? And so he rebukes Isaac and told him that you would bring judgment because clearly it is a cultural thing. It is a cultural thing that you do not take 
another man's wife. And this will bring judgment upon those people or whomsoever would do that. Okay. And so Abimelech gives the command for no one to touch neither Isaac nor his wife. It seems to give an idea that he sees something in Isaac because notice he said, do not touch him or his wife. Maybe that was in, in an act of some kind of revenge or something like that. Or it could be, don't touch him or his wife. Don't you kill him so that you can get the wife. That could also be the idea. But nevertheless, Abimelech gives the command. And what we see here is this. In the same way, when Abraham got in trouble, God came to his aid to protect the promised seed, to protect his promise, even to protect Abraham. In the same way that God came to the protection of Abraham, God now comes to the protection of his son. God is faithful. Okay, so we see that as well. All right. So now let's move. Verse number 12. Now Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and continued to grow richer until he became very wealthy. For he had possessions of flocks and herds and a great household so that the Philistines envied him. Now all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham, his father, the Philistines stopped up by filling them with earth. Then, Abra then Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are too powerful for us. And Isaac departed from there and camped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. Okay, so now we see a continuation of the narrative in the fulfillment of God's promise. Remember, when we first started, God made the promise to Isaac, I will bless you. So here's that fulfillment. So when he stayed in that land, notice he reaped a hundredfold. So Isaac... Whatever he planted, it really did well. And that's, that's why I say, and therefore what? The Lord blessed him, the Lord, his God. He, Isaac became very rich. He became rich in cattle. He became rich in slaves. And that's what it's talking about when it says servants. It's talking about literal slaves, okay? And because Isaac became so rich amongst the Philistines, the Philistines became envious. And this would become very important as we work our way through the rest of the text. They were envious of Isaac and because they were jealous of Isaac's wealth and God's blessing him, they acted uh, against Isaac. So all the wells that Abraham's servant had dug in that day, they went and put, uh, filled them up with dirt <laughs> so that he couldn't get water from the wells. And so what would basically be happening was the Philistine would put dirt in the well, either would take the dirt from the well. Philistine dirt in the well, I'll take dirt from the well. All because they are simply jealous of him until Isaac finally de decided to leave from that immediate vicinity. Can I say it like the city area in a sense? All right. The populated area, populated area with these Philistines. And he moved to the outside area. He moved away in the Valley of Gerar, trying to get away, to get away from all of this fighting. Okay. And they asked him to leave simply because of his wealth. Now that's a common thing that we see. Uh, and I don't want to talk too much about it, but let me just simply throw something at you. Be careful not to be jealous or envious 
of Jewish people because of how God has blessed them. We see that all throughout the time. Gentile peoples being jealous of the Jews and therefore acting contrary against the Jews. This happened in Abraham's day, Isaac's day, even to this day. And that's all I'll say about that part. But nevertheless, Isaac left. 18. Then Isaac dug again the wells of water which had been dug in the days of his father, Abraham. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the same names which his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of flowing water, the herdsmen of Gerah quarreled with the herdsmen of Isaac, saying, The water is ours. So he named the well Essek because they contended with him. Then they dug another well and they quarreled over it too. So he named it Sitna. He moved away from there and dug another well and they did not quarrel over it. So he named it Rehoboth for he said, at last the Lord has made room for us and we will be fruitful in the land. And let me stop there. So it continues, the narrative continues, digging the wells, <laughs> stopping up the well, digging the well, stopping up the well. So he went to the valley. He went to the outskirts, hoping that he would catch a break and they wouldn't harass him there. And we talk about three wells. First well he dug, he called it the well Sitna. And once again, they were arguing above that well. And that's why he called it Sitna, which means contention, arguing and fighting about it. So what happens? He digs another well and that well I'm sorry, the first well, Essek, is contention. Essek is contention. The next well, Sitna, which means to quarrel, to quarrel. But Sitna also gives the idea of envy. Remember when it said they envied him? And so Isaac is aware of why they are fussing and fighting and quarreling over the well, not simply because they want to take what he has given, what he has done, his hard work, take the advantages of his labor, the labor of his servants, but because they are envious of him. And so this is the idea, okay? First will, Essex, contention, Sitna. Second will, the whole idea, arguing. The third will he calls Rehoboth, which means a broad place. The word Rehoboth means a broad place. It gives the idea of roominess. And that's why he said, for God has made rules. So they didn't quarrel over the third will. And this is outside of Gorah, okay? So still we are in the vicinity of the Philistines in that area, all right? So now let's move on. Then he went up from there to Beersheba. The, the Lord appeared to him in the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there and there Isaac's servants dug a well. Okay, now let me slow down just a little bit here because once again, and I always remember when we, whenever we have these theophanies, theophany is an appearance of God, okay? And so here, we have another appearance of God, and, and most likely it was an anthropomorphic. God appeared as a man of God here. So what happens? Isaac, probably no doubt, tired of the quarreling with the Philistines 
and probably because there's been a change, you know, water and things of that nature. He goes back to Beersheba. But the thing to remember, Beersheba is a special place. Remember, all the way back, what was it, Genesis 16, I think I called it right. It was God who met Hagar at this particular place, okay? And this is the place, to make a long story short, where the patriarchs would go to hear from God. This is where, and so just like Isaac did once earlier, he's repeating that same thing. He's going back to Beersheba. Why? The desire is to hear from God. The desire is to be close with God. That's because why? God himself appeared there. And guess what God did? He appeared there again. And what did he do? He reaffirmed the covenant that he had previously made with Isaac. That is to tell him, don't be afraid. I'm with you. Everything that I promise to do to you, the promises that I gave to your father, I will give you those same promises. Okay. And then Isaac responds and notice in verse number 25, where he said he built an altar there, which is and called upon the name of the Lord. So now let me talk about that just a little. An altar, y'all, you guys know what an altar is. It's the thing that you make of stone and there you make sacrifices, animal sacrifices in worship to God. So that's what he did. Okay. So this was a form of worship. But what the scriptures are trying to teach us is this. It is there in Beersheba when Isaac builds this altar. It is a public form of worship. That is when it says public. Now, when I say public, I don't necessarily mean where everybody is welcome to come there and sacrifice on the altar. That's not what I'm talking about. But what I mean is this in the sight of all the people of the land. And what I want you to begin to see is this. Remember, God said one of the functions of Isaac and his descendant, even namely the Messiah, Jesus Christ. OK, one of the function is in you shall all of the families of the earth be blessed in you shall all of the families of the earth come into the knowledge of the true God. Remember all these other peoples that we've been talking about, they're idol worshipers. They don't know the true God. There is one person and that's the general idea. There is one person and one family of people who know the true God. That is the family and people of Abraham. Now the family and people of Isaac. So therefore, as he sets this public worship up, it is to garner the attention of all around. Well, who is this God? It is Yahweh. And so therefore the families, the people around the Philistines and everybody else will come to know of the true God by Isaac. You got it. Okay. So he worships God. He sets up a place for his worship. And when he said he pitches a tent and he dug a well there. So once again, we see he began to live there and God continues to bless him. Now, remember what I just told you about the function of when Isaac set up that altar, set up that altar in the, in the public, that is in the sight of all. Okay. And how God, the function of the Israelites, the function of the Jewish people, so that the families of the earth, the Gentiles, other people can come into the knowledge of God. Remember that 
as we now move to the end of this chapter. Verse number 26. Then Abimelech came to him from Gerar with his advisor, Ahuzoth, and Phicol, the commander of his army. Isaac said to them, why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent me away from you? They said, watch carefully. We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. I'll come back to that. So we said, let there now be an oath between us, even between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you and have done nothing done to you, nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. Then he made a, then he made them a feast and they ate and drank in the morning. They arose early and exchanged oaths. Then Isaac sent them away and they departed from him in peace. Now it came about on the same day that Isaac's servant came, came in and told him about the well, which they had dug and said to him, we have found water. So he called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. Now I'm going to stop there and talk about it. Okay. Remember what I told you to recall function of the Jewish people. Okay. Purpose in Isaac building that altar that others may come to know the true God. And that's what we see happening in the remainder of the text. What happens? Abimelech with a couple of his advisors, Ahuzath, and then the commander they call Phicol. Uh, Phicol is not necessarily the same name. It could be the name of a commander, a title, okay? But nevertheless, they came to Isaac seeking peace, a peace treaty with Isaac, because they saw indeed that he was blessed. Notice what they said in verse number 28. We see plainly, we see clearly that the Lord has been with you. Now, here's, I'm slowing it down just a little. Notice what they said. We see that the Lord, they call the name of Isaac's God. Question, how do they know? And when you see Lord in all caps, it means Yahweh, the personal name of God. How does these Gentiles know the personal name of God? Isaac's God is not their God. That goes to the point. It was for the purpose. It is through God's blessing of Isaac. See, okay. God did not only bless Isaac in order to fulfill the promises of Abraham. But what is the purpose behind that? It gets the attention of the Gentile nations. Okay. It supplies uh, the Jewish people. It supplies Isaac with blessings to get the attention of the nations. Therefore, as you see Isaac being blessed, what question do you think you will begin to ask? Now you got to think, and it's kind of maybe difficult for us as Christians to think in this manner, but in an idolatrous way, here's the association. And this is basically the way it was done in ancient times. When a nation is blessed, it is blessed because of their gods. When a nation is protected, it is protected by their gods. Okay. So therefore, when you see Isaac being blessed and remember how much blessing we saw Isaac, 
a hundredfold. Sheep and goats, oxen, servants, big time, so much that they ran him off. Okay. So they knew they are attributing his blessings to his God. In other words, it's worked. They have now come into the knowledge of Isaac's God. They even know his name. And that's what's important here. But the idea, and I'll come back to another point on that. The idea is what's going on in the text. They want, because Isaac is now considered to be a great man within himself. They want to have peace with Isaac. Okay. And not only that, they want to remember now, they want the blessings of Isaac's God. Remember what God said to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you and those who curse you, I will curse. Okay. So they understand how this works. That is Abimelech and his people. So as they see Isaac being blessed, they too want to be blessed. All right. Now their motives are wrong because the desire of God was in, this was supposed to be an attraction to God himself. This was not supposed to be the only sole reason you came to God. That is for material blessing. This was to attract you to God, to get your attention. So that notice what I just said, it's a purposeful clause so that you yourself may develop a relationship with God. Now, the failure in this text is what I was going to say. So I might as well say it now. God's uh, uh, M.O. worked. It drew the attention of these Gentiles when they saw the wealth of Isaac. But the end result, what God desired, did not seem to take place. They came seeking a peace with Isaac because they wanted to share in the blessings of Isaac. But you cannot have the blessings of Isaac without having a relationship with the God of Isaac. And that was the whole reason it was done this way in the first place. Okay. What well, part of the reason? But anyway, but that's the primary idea here. But nevertheless, so Isaac responds to them. I'm back to the narrative. I thought you hate me. Why are you here? And they just simply said, we can clearly see that you have been blessed of the Lord. So therefore, let us make a treaty. I find it ironic how they said that we have done nothing but good to you and sent you away in peace. And I like, huh? All you did was quarrel. All you did was fight. You fought with him so much until he himself had to go away. And it was not in peace. It wasn't a war, but trust me, it was not in peace. But nevertheless, Isaac acquiesced to all of this and he simply made a feast and in making a feast, they arose early that next morning, took the vow of the oath, that is the vow of the peace, and they departed from him. But again, I want to draw your attention to it. Notice in verse number 29, what these Gentiles said of Isaac, you are the blessed of the Lord, where even the Gentiles had to admit Isaac was blessed by his God. Therefore, let's go once again to the theme in this chapter. God continues his promises of Abraham, the, the promises of blessings with his son, Isaac, and God has shown himself to be faithful. 
God has done just what he said. Okay. Even the Gentiles have to admit it. So finally they find another water. And this is, and when you see this water, he called it Shiva, this final well of water. And Shiva literally means oath. And so he named that city that is Isaac named that city where he was dwelling. Notice in the background of the situation, the situation is the Abimelech came to make the oath with Isaac. And so Isaac names the city with respect to the well that they made, that they just found and the oath that he made. And so he calls the city Beersheba. Beersheba is a compound word. Be'er, which means well, and Shiva means oath. Well of the oath. So he names the city after what had taken place and the well. And once again, this well is an indication of God's continued blessing. Okay. Now at the very end of chapter 26, there is a shift because this will have something to do with the rest of the narrative in the book of Genesis that of course I can't get into right now, but let's just look at the end of it. And then we'll wrap up chapter 26. When Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, the daughter of Biri, the Hittite and Basemoth, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and they brought grief to Isaac and Rebekah. So we end chapter 26 on a very negative note, but we are reflecting once again on Esau. Now it's a number of things that we can say, but I guess let's put out a couple. Remember Esau is the firstborn son. Okay. But he is the firstborn son who will be passed over in the birthright. And so here it seems to be start preparing us in how Esau is unfit. And that's basically what we're beginning to see here. But nevertheless, Esau takes two wives now up at, at the same time. Okay. Up until this point, none of the patriarchs have done so. Abraham did not have two wives at the same time. And of course, Isaac did not have two wives at the same time. Esau next in line, that is biologically next in line. We know he's not the one to be given the birthright. God told us that earlier in Genesis chapter 25. He told that to Rebecca when she was pregnant, but the negative negativeness is about to come out about Esau. He takes two wives, but what makes it really bad is this. Remember, Abraham married his sister. When he got ready to take a wife for his uh, son, Isaac, what did he say? Do not take a wife from these Gentiles, from the people in whose land I'm dwelling in. Go back to my father's house. Okay. And that's where Isaac got his wife from Rebecca. But notice here, Esau has done the opposite of that. Instead of him marrying of his father's household, he has married the Gentiles in the land, the Canaanites. Now this will have a, a lot of a great spiritual overtone as the Israelites will understand this same story, this same thing in the future, Leviticus 18 and 20. And I'm way ahead of time, but this is in the law of Moses, but we're ahead of time. Israel will learn some of the similar things. Do not marry these Canaanites in the land. And that's exactly what we see Esau doing Canaanites. And the whole idea is they don't know your God. They are godless people. They are idolaters. But nevertheless, 
And in marrying these women, Esau disappointed, gravely disappointed his parents and his parents clearly did not accept, you know, in a full, full sense of the idea, accept these women in the same way if, had he married the proper women. And we're going to see this being different with Jacob, but under different circumstances. But anyway, guys, we're going to stop right there in chapter 26. Once again, what did we basically see? The story reverted back to Isaac and we saw the experiences of Isaac in the promised land. God affirmed and reaffirmed the Abrahamic promise to Isaac. Isaac had to learn that he himself, although he had the promises of God, he must have faith as well. Faith works in conjunction. So some of the same testing scenarios we saw with Abraham, we saw the same thing with Isaac. All right, guys, catch you next time as we move into chapter 27.